0: of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them, and there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one,
1: One of the buzzwords of our society in the West is spirituality. If you go into most bookshops, you'll find shelves on spirituality. If you Google search spirituality, there'll be pages upon pages upon pages of things to do with spirituality. Everybody, it seems, in our society has agreed that spirituality is a really, really good thing. The only problem is that no one in our society can actually define what spirituality is. It may be in the school curriculum for excellence here in Scotland, but it's a very broad and wide-ranging definition as to what spirituality is. Because spirituality means different things to different people. So for some people, it's about lighting candles. For some people, it's about going to a yoga class. For some people, it's about walking up a hill or a Monroe. For other people, it's about silence. For other people, it's about loud music. For other people, it's about waving their mobile phone at a rock concert. For other people, it's about going to a classical music concert and just finding themselves taken up and lifted up out of themselves. A few weeks ago, in the benefit concert for the... um, Incident that happened in Manchester, there was just this sense at the Ariana Grande concert on the Sunday evening of this very vague sense of spirituality that was out there amongst the crowd. When Robbie Williams sang Angels, when Ariana Grande sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow, it was an incredibly evocative and moving moment. But is really our spirituality about the fact that if we just stay together, things will be okay? Is that really the sum total of what spirituality is all about? Well, over the past 30 years, we've recognized that we're not just physical, emotional, economic, or rational human beings. There is a spiritual side to us. And there's this paradox that's been going on in the West that as we've become less religious, we've become more spiritual. But the sobering reality is that often fewer and fewer people will associate the church with something that's spiritual. They'll look to other things. They'll look to yoga. They'll look to classes that they can take, courses online. But they won't think about the church necessarily as a place that they associate with the word spiritual. Indeed, for many people, the church is one of the last places that they would look for spirituality. Spirituality. It seems in our society, at least in the UK, in Scotland, everything goes, sometimes it seems, apart from Christianity. Look at the treatment given this week to one of our politicians, and indeed over the previous few weeks. Tim Farron is a committed Christian, and he was the leader of the Liberal Democrat Party in the UK election. Now, during the election campaign, he came unstuck on one particular question. And the question that he was asked and which he didn't handle at all well was did he think gay sex was a sin? Now today is not the time to talk about gay sex. Some of us have talked about it a lot for the past two or three weeks. Now is not the time to talk about politics because we have heard a lot about politics in the last five or eight weeks. Now is not the time to debate the rights and wrongs of how Tim Farren really really mishandled the question and the answers that he refused to give and now is not the time to talk about the liberal democrats we don't want to intrude on private grief steady okay that was a joke that was just to see if you're awake and there are many committed christians in all the different parties but what this incident I suppose or episode raises for us is what is the place of Christianity in our society and in our culture. Because what happened over the past few weeks that our society's illiberal liberalism was revealed. That you can believe whatever you want as long as it agrees with what the liberal elite believe. Now, again, whether you think he was right or wrong in the way that he handled the question, and he did duck the question at at times, whether you think the Liberal Democrats are right and wrong, whether you think Tim Farron is a good politician or not, and the LGBTQI division and part of the Liberal Democrat Party said that actually there's been no greater supporter of their cause than Tim Farron. What was striking was that no one asked Theresa May or Jeremy Corbyn the same question. Sadiq Khan, when he was standing for London Mayor, wasn't asked the question as a a committed Muslim. None of the other Muslim candidates who were standing for various parties across the UK were asked this particular question. And so eventually, after the election, this Wednesday, Tim Farron resigned. And his speech that he resigned in was very revealing. Listen to these words. From the very first day of my leadership, I have faced questions about my Christian faith. I've tried to answer with grace and patience. Sometimes my answers could have been wiser. The consequences of the focus on my faith is that I found myself torn between living as a faithful Christian and serving as a political leader. And he finished with these words I want to say one more thing. I joined our party when I was 16. It's in my blood. I love our history, our people. I thoroughly love my party. Imagine how pride I am to lead this party. And then imagine what would lead me to voluntarily relinquish that honor. In the words of the hymn writer Isaac Watts, it would have to be something so amazing, so divine. It demands my soul, my life, my all. Thank you. Amazing words and amazing integrity. But what was striking was how few news outlets picked up on the last two sentences. I think The Guardian did. They referred to his reference to when I survey the wondrous cross. But I didn't see it in any other newspaper. I didn't see it on any other website. I didn't see it on any other news bulletin. Yes, there were things that were happening elsewhere, sadly, on Wednesday, obviously. But Farron's profession of his faith and what his faith meant to him was lost. Spirituality in our society, in our culture, it seems, is fine as long as it's private and inoffensive and doesn't demand too much. Indeed, this morning on Radio 4, in a discussion on this particular subject, the former Bishop of Oxford said, you can be a Christian and be a political leader or politician, but keep your faith private and personal. The Christian faith was always meant to be personal. It was never meant to be private. The two are not the same. And it throws up questions about spirituality and faith and belief in our society and culture. Now, the culture into which the Apostle Paul was writing in Corinth, that reading that Julie read for us a few moments ago, was as diverse and as confused spiritually as ours is today. First century Corinth was a hothouse of spiritual beliefs, opinions, and experiences. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, about spiritual gifts, or equally he could say about spiritual things, about spirituality, I do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant. The Corinthians came from a background where the Greek mystery religions that abounded in Corinth were wild and wacky. And the wackier they were, the more out there they were, the more spiritual they were. Unless you'd had a particular experience, unless you went into a trance and got a message or an oracle or a prophecy, that wasn't really a genuine, authentic, spiritual experience that you'd had. But Paul says... 1 Corinthians 12, verse 2, you were led astray to mute idols. And then he begins to teach them and us about what true spirituality looks like. And firstly, in verses 2 and 3, in that passage, he says true spirituality is very simply about Jesus. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced, led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is saying, it isn't a question of how vivid or real the spiritual experience is. For a spiritual experience to come from the Holy Spirit means that it points people towards Jesus. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will always point people towards Jesus. That's how you know whether a spiritual experience is of God or not. It points people towards the person of Jesus. When I was a teenager, when I became a Christian, one of the things that struck me very quickly when I, when I talked to my dad, who some of you know was a spiritualist for 16, 17 years, was his reaction when we started to talk about the person of Jesus. He was resistant to the person of Jesus. There was nothing special about the person of Jesus, and very quickly, I recognized that there was a difference between the spirituality that I'd experienced in becoming a Christian and the spirituality that my dad was into through spiritualism. Paul says, no one says Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And to say Jesus is Lord in first century Corinth was by definition dangerous. Because in saying Jesus is Lord, you were saying Caesar is not Lord. And to say Caesar is not Lord meant that you were under a death sentence. It was treason in the Roman Empire to say Caesar is not Lord. So the the earliest confession of the Christian faith, Jesus is Lord, was revolutionary and it was treasonable and it led to people's death. To say Jesus is Lord means that Caesar isn't. It also means that you're not. It means that Theresa May isn't. It means that Jeremy Corbyn isn't. It means that Nicola Sturgeon isn't. It means that Donald Trump isn't. Jesus is Lord. For Tim Farron this week, it meant saying that he was not going to be the leader of the Lib Dem party anymore because Jesus is his Lord, and he had to come first. It demands his soul, his life, his all. The second thing that Jesus, that we're taught by Paul, is that true spirituality is diverse but unifying. Verses 4 to 7. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. God gives different gifts to different people. And there are different kinds of gifts that God gives, but the result is always for the common good. It's for the encouragement. It's for the building up of the church. So, how do you know if a a spiritual gift is being used in the right way? Does Does it leave you encouraged? Does it draw you closer to the person of Jesus? And does it leave you built up? Does it leave you encouraged? If it doesn't, it's not from God. When I was at university, um, our Christian, uni- uh, CU was, was, uh, Christian union was quite lively. Uh, we had Toronto and Wimber 20 years before Toronto and Wimber were around. And it was a very lively, charismatic CU, 200 students. And uh, we were used to people giving prophecies and all sorts of things. And on one particular occasion, uh, my mate Toby was leading the evening meeting. And uh, somebody stood up, another student uh, called Duncan, and he started to give what he thought was a prophecy Um, As Episcopalians, as Anglicans, we don't get prophecies. We get pictures because we're more creative for some reason. I don't know why. God speaks to Anglicans in pictures. He speaks to Pentecostals in the first person. I don't know why. He just does. It's a cultural thing. Um, And Duncan just started... I, the Lord, say to you, badang, 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 badang. And it was very angry, and it was very condemnatory, and it was getting worse and worse. And he went on and on and on and on for what felt like ages, but it was only probably about three or four minutes. And eventually, Toby, who was, I think, 20 at the time, in front of 200 people, stood up and said, Duncan, that's enough. And Duncan sat down. Our speaker came from a very, 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 very conservative background. He told us afterwards he was within five seconds of walking out. He'd come from London to Hull to give his talk. He was within five seconds of walking out. But we learned at a very early age that if it doesn't build up, if it doesn't encourage, if it doesn't build the church up, if it doesn't point people towards the person of Jesus, it's not from God. There are different ways of working, but it always builds people up. Third thing, verse 7, there is variety, but there is equality. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. For the last 18 years or so, one of the things that we've offered as a church is the network course that helps people to discover their spiritual gifts. The Bible teaches that every Christian has at least one gift. You've probably got two or three, maybe four, but every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. We've just finished the the course two or three weeks ago. And the course helps you go through what it is that God has given to you. And there are three dangers uh, that the course warns about. It warns about elevation, projection, and rejection. Elevation is when you think that the gift that God has given to you is more important than anybody else's gift. So preaching... You may question at this time whether God has given me the gift of preaching. Um, But it would be tempting for me to think that preaching is the most important gift. If I'm honest, when I came to Scotland, I encountered this time and time again in the church in Scotland, where the gift of preaching had been elevated to such a degree that everybody else thought that if they weren't a preacher, they weren't gifted. And I talked to church leader after church leader saying, I can't get people in my church to do anything. And I had to say to them, it's because you've elevated the gift of preaching to such a level that people think if they're not a preacher, then they're not gifted by God. Because the only thing that counts in your church is preaching. Now it happens in other spheres, whether it's evangelism or the gift of intercession. Uh, Everybody thinks that their gift is the most important. Projection, the second one, is when you think that everybody should have the same gift as you. People who particularly fall into this trap are people with a gift of intercession or prayer or evangelism. You, You just don't understand why everybody isn't as passionate about prayer as you are or as passionate about evangelism as you are or as passionate about worship as you are. And you project onto other people, and really they should be as excited as you are about the gift that you've got. And you don't quite get why they aren't as passionate as you are about something. And then the third danger after elevation and projection is rejection. And this is when you refuse to recognize or accept that the gifts that God has given to you either really are the gifts that God has given to you or that they're really spiritual. Again, um, the first time we did the network course in this church, um, I encountered something that I'd never encountered before. I'd done done it three or four times um, elsewhere, south of the border. And um, at the end of the course, you read out a list of the spiritual gifts found in the New Testament. There's about 29. It's not an exhaustive list, but you just read out the list, and you say, if if this is your top gift, then just go and stand. And you end up with what they call a gift circle. And we did it in this building. There was a circle of about 60 people all standing around. And there were people here with the gift of administration. And people there with the gift of faith. And people there with the gift of evangelism. And people here with the gift of um, healing. And it was all around. And you could look across the circle and see people with very different gifts to yours. But five people sat where you're sitting now. And I read, read, I'd read out the whole list, and they just sat. And I just looked at them, and I, I knew most of them. And I said, w- w- i read out all the lists. We believe that every Christian has got one gift. Aye. You've got a gift. Aye. I said, why are you not in the circle? And one person put their hand up. I said, well, it's not for me to see that Scottish worm theology coming out again. It's okay for somebody else to call out what they see in me, but it's not okay for me to say what God has given to me. Another way that the rejection plays out is when people, particularly around the gifts of administration or hospitality, say, well, they're not really spiritual gifts. They're not proper spiritual gifts. The really spiritual ones are tongs and preaching and evangelism, but administration or hospitality, they're not really spiritual gifts. I tell you, people have prayed for years for me to have the gift of administration. (laughs) There have been occasions when I have prayed for the gift of hospitality. Maybe it just comes naturally to you, but actually it doesn't come naturally, it comes supernaturally to you. If something is your gift, often you find it very comparatively easy, and you don't often always recognize that it's a gift that God has given to you. So elevation, projection, and rejection, variety, but equality fourthly there's a creative variety of gifts and expression of the same gift now nine gifts are lifted between verses 7 and 11 wisdom knowledge faith healing miraculous powers that's usually thought to be exorcism prophecy discernment speaking in tongues interpreting tongues other lists are found in ephesians 4 romans 12 and 1 peter chapter 4 it's not an exhaustive list But the reality is that God will give different gifts to different people, but he also may give the same gift to different people in different ways. So you may have the gift of evangelism, and the way in which you express that gift of evangelism is different to the way that somebody else who has the same gift will express it. You may have the gift of intercession. You may express that through loud What's called South Korean type prayer, where you just pray and shout out to God. Other people find it really helpful to intercede through silence. Hannah Spears, who was one of our interns a couple of years ago, she went on a month's silent retreat. Let just that sit for some of you. A month's. People are nudging one another. A month's silent retreat. Well, I mean, that would kill me. A month silent retreat, not be able to talk for a month. People are pointing going, you should go on that. <laughs> we find different ways of expressing our spirituality and different ways of expressing what might be the same gift. Allow, somebody once said, allow God to be as original with other people as he has been with you. So there are different ways ways of expressing the same gift. Our God is a God of unbounded creativity. Fifthly, verse 7, gifts are for service, not entertainment. Spiritual gifts are to be used to encourage the church and extend the kingdom of God. They're not spiritual toys or opportunities for you to display how special or spiritual you are. It isn't a platform for you to show off how blessed you are, or how special you are, or how spiritual you are, he says, standing on a platform. That's not what spiritual gifts are about. Spiritual gifts are to be used for service in the church, but also then in community. I don't know about you, but I've been amazed this week. I woke up on Wednesday morning to the horrendous pictures of that fire in in London, and just heartbreaking scenes. But then to see friends and, and clergy colleagues posting on social media about the way they were responding, to see the way in which the church was responding in Kensington and Chelsea has just been remarkable. Cameron Collington, who used to be on the staff here at Peace and G's, who's a vicar now in Fulham, said he, he posted on, on, on Facebook yesterday just how moving it was to firstly to go and have to find his, his dog collar and his clerical shirt, He didn't know where it was at the back of his wardrobe. But to put that on and then how moving and humbling it had been to walk the streets and to go into the prayer center and to have complete strangers come up and ask, would you pray for me? Adrian, who's a vicar in Earl's Court, who used to be in our youth group when we were in Birmingham. Again, him just sharing the stories of him just being lost for words. And the striking thing was, as you watched Graham Tomlin, the Bishop of Kensington, leading The clergy and the churches in that area and escorting the, the group into Downing Street yesterday. The striking thing was that when push came to shove, people did not go to yoga classes. They lit candles in the street. But they went to churches. Latimer Church, a pioneer church, immediately opened its doors within half an hour of the fire starting. And was the the place that the residents came to. Other churches around the area responded. And then people from all across the country, if we're honest, responded. And yes, mosques and Sikhs did their bit as well. But it was the church primarily that people responded to. They did not go to yoga classes. They did not go walking up mountains. They went looking for the church. And they went looking for clergy wearing dog collars. And you saw the church being the church as it served its local community and served with compassion and generosity and warmth and love. Not speaking in tongues over people, but giving them beds and food and shelter. Using their spiritual gifts alongside human talents, weeping and praying with people in the midst of their pain and loss. Because finally, what Paul says about the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 5, the Holy Spirit comes to energize us for service. It was Michael Green who said, The comforter comes not in order to make people comfortable, but to make them missionaries. We've deliberately dovetailed this seven or eight week series on the Holy Spirit with our evening series on mission styles, looking at how we naturally share our faith with people. Because the, as the Holy Spirit is given, what he does is he sends people out. Yes, he is the comforter, but in Latin that's comfortis, with strength. And you've heard this illustration again and again, but that picture of William the Conqueror on the Bayer tapestry, comforting his troops, comfortis, having a spear and just getting it up their backsides to get them out onto the battlefield. That's what the word comfort means. Yes, it can mean coming alongside, saying they're there. But the comforter with strength, come fortis, strengthening you, equipping you, energizing you to go out and be the people that God needs you to be this week. We don't know what will happen this week. You don't know where you'll find yourself. The people in Kensington and Chelsea did not know what was going to happen this week. But when push came to shove, the church stood up and the church was the church. I don't know about you, but I found myself this week thinking, if that happened in Edinburgh, how would we respond as a church? If it happened somewhere in Scotland, what would we do? Gifts of the Spirit are not rewards for loyalty like nectar points or air miles. The gifts of the Spirit are given in order that you and I might be the body of Christ in the church, but more importantly, out in the world. So the gifts that God has given to you, firstly, do you know what they are? If not, please, please come on the next network course in the autumn. And if you do know what the gifts are that God has given to you, where are you using them? In the church? In your community? In your workplace? In your family? But have you become a bit half-hearted? Have you become a bit, well, yeah, I had a gift once, but I'm not sure about it. I'm not sure where I put it. Are you so indebted to the grace, the charis of God that you recognize this morning that your faith in Christ demands your soul, your life, your all? And are you willing for it to shape the direction of your life and of mine?